Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't, today is Tuesday, March 25th, 2014, and this is episode 1320 of the Survival Podcast. And honestly, my mental faculties are at their edge, and it's amazing that I know it's Tuesday, that I know it's the 25th of March, and that I know that this is the 1320th episode of my own show, because I have had a whirlwind couple of weeks, but I'm back now, sort of, because i got a workshop coming up next week. Uh, it's tax time. we got to go see the tax man uh, eventually before uh, we're able to take a vacation. That's going to be awesome when we finally get to do that. But I've got huge news in today's show, and I've got a lot of answers to a lot of questions about a lot of things. So make sure you uh, listen closely after we get done with the uh, housekeeping segment. We'll start that now with our sponsor of the day, number one, today, Sawtooth Tactical. All the stuff you need to live that tactical lifestyle, you'll find it at Sawtooth Tactical. Check them out today at sawtac.com. Everything from uh, Magpul magazines, Maxpedition bags, and everything else in between, including the awesome manly titanium spork. So much titanium, you will uh, you will get a, a gold stamp on your man card just for carrying the titanium spork. Check it out today, sawtac.com. Next up today, Ready-Made Resources, the company that does what it says and says what it does. That's who Ready-Made Resources is, all the resources you need, ready-made, ready-to-go. Point-click buy on their website, shipped to you with great service, great pr pricing, and lightning-fast speed on the turnaround on your order. Check them out today at readymaderesources.com, and they have it all, everything from your... Uh, everything for your prepping needs, the practical, the tactical, gardening, guns, you name it, they've got it. An extensive assortment of stuff that's 12 volt to work with your solar and wind projects, small off-grid operations. If you can think of it, if it applies to prepping, you will find it at readymaderesources.com. Next up, our MSB discount vendor of the day. Every day I mention one person that does a discount just for our members, support brigade members that's not an official sponsor because... Well, there's a lot more of them than there are of sponsors. We've had plenty of people step up, offer you guys a discount, uh, that actually would love to be sponsors, but we don't have the space for them. So this is how we uh, kind of acknowledge and give them a little love and thank them for the fact that they give our supporting members a discount. Today's discount vendor of the day is TN Tactical Supply. These guys are great. They're a veteran-owned and operated company. Their team has combined online sales experience of 20 years. They know how to make their customers happy. Uh, the entire team is made up of active shooters, hunters, and uh, tactical survival enthusiasts that use the products they sell. They offer MSB members a 10% off everything in the store except ammunition discount. You can find out more about them in the benefits section of your MSB uh, membership. If you're not an MSB member, it's a good time to tell you, hey, become a member. How would you like discounts from Sawtooth Tactical, Ready-Made Resources, and TN Tactical Supply, and like 35 other companies? That's one benefit of being an MSB member. You also support the show at a whopping 18.3 cents an episode if you are a member of the Support Brigade. And you get a lot of other great things like content that's available nowhere else, weekly-ish MSB-only uh, videos. Uh, we will have one for you this week. Lots of great free discounts and a lot of other great things. Check it out today. at a um, Just go to the survivalpodcast.com and click on Members to find out how you can sign up and join. 
Military, law enforcement, Peace Corps, active duty, and prior service first responders like EMTs, paramedics, firefighters, all you guys qualify for a discount. Again, active duty or prior service, email me at jack at the survivalpodcast.com. Service discount in the subject line, one sentence or two sentences at most. Tell me about your service, again, what you're doing or what you did if you're prior, and I'll email you back instructions to save on your membership if you do that when, dun-dun-dun, before, not after you join, or do it on renewal if you've already joined. All right, with that, let's get into uh, the main part of today's show. I want to start out with our year of the episode. So today we are having episode 1320, and... I will tell you a story, and it's likely you may have heard this quote or variations of it, yet never actually known the source of the quote and how far back into history it really goes. Not for glory nor riches. Does that sound familiar to you? That comes from the Declaration of Arbroath. The, Decora the Declaration of Arbroath is a declaration of independence for Scotland as much as an appeal to Pope John the, let me see that, 22nd, I had to catch up on my Roman numerals there, for support against King Edward II of England. Initially, the Pope will react favorably, but in the end, nothing will happen until King Edward II is dead and his son, King Edward III, accepts Scotland's independence in 1328 by signing the Treaty of Edinburgh and Northampton. My take by Alex Shrugged. Alex Shrugged is the guy that puts these great history segments together for us at tspwiki.com. The Declaration of Aberroth itself, along with many, uh, is long, with many praises and swearing of loyalty to the Pope as the Vicar of Christ, so I don't recommend it as light reading. But there is one quote that I find expiring, and I leave you with it. It is in truth not for glory, nor riches, nor honors that we are fighting, but for freedom. For that alone, which no honest man gives up, but with life itself. In 1320, the Scots were willing to say that no honest man gives up his freedom until he gives up life itself. The next time you're in a battle for your own personal liberty, and you feel good about things like our Declaration of Independence... And you should. But remember what I've said about screaming, we are the champions 20 years after you won the championship and you haven't won another one since. Think about that. And I have one of my new favorite quotes. I've, I've heard variations of it, but not the actual quote. So I'm going to read it to you again one more time. It is in truth not for glory nor riches nor honors that we are fighting, but for freedom. For that alone, which no honest man gives up, but with life itself. Quite inspiring. Thanks to Alex, who always does a great job with these. He has two other great segments today. One is called Beating Plowshares into Swords, and the other, Colder, Longer Winters Are Here. There's a link to the 1320 page on the TSP Wiki in today's show notes. With that, let's get into uh, the main topic of a two-parter. I figure, one, a lot of you guys are really excited about Permaethos. Two, if you can hear, my voice is still strained from this crud that I picked up on the airplane to or from California. I don't know which. Um, so I can only go so long with it anyway. And as soon as I'm done, I mean literally the very second I'm done, this is going to be all going out today, uh, I'll get up against a time limit uh, for John Bush's interview. 
and I'll just end it, and I'll bring John on. And if I have anything else to add, maybe I'll add it at the end, but I doubt it, because uh, I'll probably be pretty much spent at that point. Um, but John Bush will be on, you know, today, and the show goes out today, which is usually the opposite. Uh, guests usually come on, and then they go out the next day. Well, this is all being rolled into one. I figure I owe you guys a two-parter, so call it a 1.5 episode, a one-and-a-half episode episode. So, Permaethos. Let's give a little quick review for those that are new to the show and don't know what Permaethos is. In the beginning, I had this vision of this place where a hundred or more survival-minded, libertarian-minded, anarcho-capitalist, TSP-type listeners would live together in a community with all of this great stuff, and we would figure out a great way to do it, make it easy, easy very easy for a person to have a lot. Uh, with a 99-year lease model, that created a cash flow for the community. Uh, we would have a lot of common facilities and things like that. It would be awesome. And then we ran up against, dun-dun-dun, the government, local governments that said, uh, yeah, maybe we'll approve your community, maybe we won't. We want to see a master plan for it before you build it. And we realized that, yes, we could just do it. There were places where technically the code would indicate that we could do anything we wanted, but if I was going to take that many people's money that without a firm answer of what we could and could not do from local government, it would be irresponsible, at least at that time, for me to take anybody's money. So we called it Permethos 1.0. And I said, fine, screw it, we'll establish a farm, uh, we'll do a co-op with it, we'll get money in, we'll capitalize it. We ran into some SEC regulations and things like that. We were working our way around it. We felt pretty good about our way around it, but there were still some holdups. Everybody had a billion ideas about how to get around the regulations and things like that. And I wanted to get this done soon, like now, like in the next 60 days. I wanted Permaethos Farm uh, uh, there to be, and people on it and working, and earthworks going in, and educational opportunities, the establishment of orchards, etc., on and on and on. And I also did not want to go to this place called the Federal Penitentiary. Yes, I am not going to federal prison because you think your idea to take investor money in won't send me there. So we called that Perma Ethos 2.0. And we had it sitting there, and we were working hard and diligently to get around all of the issues. And then because I have done this thing from the very beginning in what I call an open source model, and I guess it's open to interpretation how much is, you know, do you give away everything for free? No. Um, but do you make clear what you're doing and let anybody replicate it and not patent things or trademark things, or if you do, only do it in the public space so that nobody else can do it to protect it so anybody can use it? That's what we're doing with Permaethos. The only thing trademarked in Permaethos will be the name itself. You can't use our name and say you're us unless you do what we say. Otherwise, you can take any other little piece of what we do and bolt it into what you do and go off and be happy. Because I did that, I have these two guys named Kevin and Charlie who have listened to literally every episode we've ever done, both at Permaethos and at Survival Podcast, and I think even all the business stuff over at 5 Minutes with Jack that I, I don't do that podcast anymore, but there's like 120 episodes there. And Kevin came to my last workshop and presented me with a print of his farm and said, we could just do it at my farm. And I said, you know, the only problem with that is I really want to involve the TSP community. I want them to be able to get something out of this. I want them to be able to, in, you know, in some way invest. But I'm also running up against so many roadblocks. Maybe this will work. We're in the middle of a workshop. Let's put those away. We'll look at it later. I'll talk to you later. Let me get through the workshop with Stephen Harris. So we get through the workshop. And I have my one day of oh, doing um and coming back into center and being human again. 
And I look at this opportunity and I go, oh my God, this is the model. So we start talking to Kevin and Charlie and they pay to fly myself, Josiah, uh, a third partner that I'll, I'll now reveal fully to you who that is, Nicholas Ferguson of Permaculture Classroom, and another gentleman named Kelly Hearn. They flew all of us at their expense to Charleston, West Virginia. Mountain Mama, country road, right? Okay, West Virginia. And about 35-ish miles away from Charleston, which is closer to an hour drive with all the country roads taking us home, lies a farm known as Elijah Springs. And we just spent uh, about four days at Elijah Springs Farms, evaluating the farm, doing the initial design. It's 110 acres. We're focusing initial development on a south-facing slope of about 20-ish acres. And we have a model now that will be able to replicate much faster, though those of you with farms and land, I need you to hang fire for me until we get this one established. But I think by going into next year's time, we may be able to have four, five, or six perma-ethos farms being established under this new model. This new model is much cleaner. It gets around every single government regulation other than things like you know, environmental regulations and regulations like when you have a cow and it's going to slaughter, there's FDA regulations for things like this and all. So it doesn't get around that. But all of the way, things that are in the way of making permaethos what it can be are gone. And some of you are going, oh, it's a farm now. No, my friends. No, 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 no. Everything happens for a reason. So along this whole journey, I also went out to one of the most amazing things I've ever experienced, Permaculture Voices. And I listened to Joel Salatin talk about fiefdoms. And I went, this bolts right into what we're doing. And this is how we make it a reality. So what we're going to do, and you'll have to wait to do this. And I've had kind of a conundrum, like, how do I do this ethically? Because I'm going to answer another question here. Jeff Lawton's about to re release his online PDC. Uh, I think it's going to be about 900 bucks. Um, a lot of you guys are excited about it. You want to take it. I still think you should if you have the budget for it. But I also need to let you know what's going to happen in another couple months so you can make an informed decision. I feel that's fair to Jeff. That My recommendation is still, I'm not Jeff Lawton. Josiah's not Jeff Lawton. And his PDC is proven and a tremendous value. And I've taken three PDCs myself. But we are going to have our own online version of a PDC available for you. It will be different than anything that's ever been done in permaculture for a permaculture design course. And if you participate in it, you will help the establishment and funding of Permaethos. It will be revenue. We will have to pay tax on it, but it will do a lot of things I'll tell you about in a second. We don't know what the introductory price is going to be. We do know we're only going to let a 1,000 people buy it, and it will go up after that. We're thinking around $200 to $250. And you will get a full online 72-hour PDC. This is what will be different about it. Josiah will actually be teaching the PDC as the plan and initial development of the first Permaethos farm at Elijah Springs is done. In other words, he will be walking the farm and teaching the course. I mentioned Ke Kelly Hernan. Kelly Hernan is a Hollywood-quality video producer. If you look up the guy's internet uh, movie database profile, he's done hundreds of short films, training films, Uh, you know, second tier movies, you name it. Um, I'm sure a lot of things that he's done aren't even on his IMDb for credit. Just awesome guy. He has things like drones that can fly over and give overhead views, steady cameras, top end equipment, 
the guy's a perfectionist beyond my tolerance uh, for video. He is going to video Josiah teaching this PDC in the field as it applies to the actual establishment of a farm. So when we're talking about things like the people care ethic, instead of just on a whiteboard saying people care, it's important to take care of people, we'll actually explain, like, these are the dwellings that we're setting up for our tenant farmers. These are the dwellings that we're setting up for our woofers. This is how we're building people care into this farm. This is the stream that flows to the bottom of our farm, and this is how we're making sure we don't pollute it. That's the the earth care ethic. So it will be real, interesting, tangible, hard evidential things. We'll be able to use probably not the major earthworks, but minor earthworks in actual construction for the, the zone one food plot gardens and the, the, uh, the, the market gardens that will be used to both feed the farm and provide our first crops to market as we put those earthworks in to explain swales as they're being constructed, let's say for the earthworks chapter. So, And when we're doing a humid tropics climate type and we're showing, talking about hills, we can say that's what it looks like right there. Um, and this is going to be a top-end thing. Every chapter will have a quiz to be taken after. You have to pass to go to the next chapter. Um, so it will be something that you know anybody that could look at verifying your credential will, will go yes. Uh, we will be issuing a full certification on Permaculture Global for our PDC. People that graduate that will be able to come to a design clinic. Uh, we'll do them at the farm, obviously. I may do some here uh, eventually, uh, but we'll mostly do them at this farm or other ethos farms in the future to do a design clinic, a three- or four-day design intensive that will not be making your PDC official. It will take you to a Tier two of Permaethos certification, and we have a whole multi-tiered program planned where people can take the majority of things at a low cost online. From the money that we raise from this, we will not only be establishing permaethos, but a guy like Kelly makes about $200,000 a year, and he's done something that I, I can't believe we're this blessed to have. He has agreed if we'll take a quarter of that, about $50,000, and use it to pay him as a contractor to live on site for one year and document everything we do for a year and put that into both real-time updates that go out on YouTube and stuff like that, little shorts, but also to set up a subscription program where people can actually see the entire development of this farm. And anything that we do that's like a seminar-based online thing, subscribers will get a discount to those, or they can be purchased standalone. So they give us a whole revenue model, and we've made a deal with him to long-term pay him off the back end of that revenue. So now we've got a guy that's willing to come on site build his own tiny house, which we're actually going to call a small house because it's pretty big, um, and do all the labor in the building from his set design experience, um, live there for a year, document everything, make it available to people in an educational and entertainment format, um, and then leave that house behind for someone to live in on the farm as an eventual resident. I've got two people that actually own the farm, actually four because their wives are partners as well, that are listeners to this show. Both are self-made men. They run their own businesses. They have their whole lives. They understand business. They're willing to make significant capital investment into what we're doing to help fund Josiah's salary while he's dealing with all of this stuff to develop this. Um, we're going to be taking applications 
and be very rigorous with them for two. We're still calling them tenant farmers. The name may change that we will provide funding to stipend, basically $400, $500 a month plus a place to live for a year. And at the end of a year, we need them moving into their own revenue models on the farm, fiefdoms, to support themselves. And we're going to be very rigorous with our examination of applicants for that, and we think we'll have plenty. We'll be bringing woofers in. We'll let woofers, while they're there, give us revenue models. Over time, as we develop the farm and we have the resources, we'll be saying to people, if you want to run a revenue program at this farm, give us a business plan, and we'll work it out with you. Some of those people may live nearby. Some of them may live on the farm. There's tremendous opportunity to develop small off-grid housing throughout this entire property against 110 acres. Really, we envision by the time it's over with it being run, even though it's got common ownership, as four or five large farms being run separately with multiple things stacked into them. And this is where it gets exciting. We're going to do it over and over and over and over again. And I've already got people chomping on the bit. I've got 100 acres here. I've got 200 acres there. I've got 300 acres here. Great. Hang fire for me for a little bit. We've got to make this one work, and I'm going to ask you guys for some help right now. One thing Kevin and Charlie have asked for, and I completely understand why, from, from Joe, I, and Nicholas, is a, is a business plan to, okay, you can produce all this. Where's all the production going to go? Specifically, the initial production from livestock, poultry, and pork. I don't know the West Virginia market. I don't know Charleston at all. Um, and I don't really know the entire marketplace other than I buy everything I can get like this. And it's hard to find. So what we could use, and you could send this information to Joe, not me. His email address is josiahwallingford at gmail.com. That's J-O-S-I-A-H dot W-A-L-L-I-N-G-F-O-R-D at gmail.com. Again, J-O-S-I-A-H dot W-A-L-L-I-N-G-F-O-R-D at gmail.com. Any information you can send him on pricing of specifically pastured poultry and pastured pork, the source you're getting it from and what you're paying for it. If you're producing and selling and you're willing to sell that send that share that information with us, we'd love it from the producer side as well. Anyone with specific knowledge of markets for these products, whether they're direct to consumer, whether they're shops that sell and market these products, or whether they're restaurants that feature unique items, because I envision us going to some of the top-tier restaurants in the greater Charleston area and saying, um, here's what we'd like to do. We'll grow 10 pigs for you for your fall menu. And we're going we're gonna to finish them on acorns and hickories in, in the, the wooded areas of our farm. And I don't know how much of that we can do in the first year. The timing's not perfect on this farm. A lot of things that we'll be doing in spring and summer, we would have been better off doing in fall last year. But the timing is what it is. But that information can help me put together a very tight and honest business plan for, for these partners that are, that are willing to go in on this risk with us. And, and, and I would be eternally grateful to anybody that can help us with that information. If you can, uh, If you can provide us any information specifically in the West Virginia market on pasture poultry and pork, that's great. We also need things on, you know, lamb, rabbits, um, quail, uh, eggs, anything like that. The, the, the big kick in the uh, teeth 
And I wanted to say something else, but the big kick in the teeth on West Virginia for us with doing a farm is it's a anti-raw milk state for now. So um, we, we won't be doing dairy in any high level other than maybe for our own use uh, initially because I don't see the point of being in dairy if you can't market a raw milk product. I, I just don't. We'll be doing value-added products. We're going to be doing we're going to be doing so many things. But what I need now is collective intelligence. I know a lot of you are probably excited. I want to do this and I want to do that. Great. Start making a business plan. Start making a business plan for how you would do it. And if you're like, I don't want to go to West Virginia, start making a business plan for how you would use a farm like this for your business anyway. Because we are going to do this again over and over and over. I am probably not going to review applications from landowners for any other sites until after the summer of this year when all of the mainframe earthworks are in. So we're talking August-ish. And I will be giving you more information about how you can apply to be uh, a landowner that partners with us. Let me say this, though. I cannot go in to every property and run an earthworks course and pay for all the earthworks. It cannot be done. My well is not that deep. I cannot come into properties and do everything for you on my expense. Uh, my pockets and the pockets of my partners are, are not that deep. We will have to have significant investment, just as we in the first one have, from the property owners to do these developments. We can do them more cost-effectively and better than they could be done in, in, under any other circumstances, though. And unlike a lot of people that would lease your land and graze cattle or plant wheat, we will plant trees, and we will develop the community with you. So it's a huge opportunity long-term. And I, I really look forward uh, to telling you guys more about it over the next several weeks. In fact, I'll be telling you more about it this week as uh, as I recover from my travels and get my heads more uh, about me. But again, what I want you guys to understand is the, the Elijah Springs Permaethos Farm, our flagship farm, will be where we're conducting the operations for our educational online components, our online schools, Uh, our on-site educational programs and things like that. And it is going to be, let me put it to you this way, with the elevation changes and the challenges at Elijah Springs, if you want to see anything like this, you're going to have to go to Austria and look at what Sepp Holzer's done. Uh, we're going to put in some ridgetop dams that are going to change the entire face of the property. We're going to do two major earthworks uh, workshops this uh, this fall. We hope to see many of you guys there. Uh, we do not think we can pay for the earthworks uh, due to the challenging nature of them uh, and the location and what it will cost to get equipment in and out and operators there. Uh, with the, the classes, they'll simply be to help defer the expense. Uh, but if we can fill the two of them, that'll be probably great. If you want to see earthworks like it's never been done in the United States ever, You'll want to come to this. We'll probably do about 40 and 40 in two different workshops. Um, and we really could use you guys, you know, committing to us uh, at least buying our first uh, 1,000-member PDC program online. Again, I'm thinking 250 ish dollars, uh, maybe, maybe 300 I don't know. I mean, the quality of what we're going to do, the volume of what we're going to do, the fact that Nick and I are going to be answering all your questions while Joe is developing this course – um, is is really high. We're, we're either way we're selling under that value, um, and the more we can raise, the more we can do, and the faster we can go. We are going to take those thousand people, and they will be listed on the Perma Ethos website as community founders, one thousand community founders, and they those people will forever be given first consideration with everything that we do. If we have two farms, 
and they're pretty much identical, and the opportunity's pretty much identical, and one farm is a founder's farm and one isn't, we want to do both of them. We're not going to rule out the other person, but when we go, this year we can do three or two or one or 12 or whatever it is, and we're down to the final, because we have to be selective in what we do, and it, there's, there's, it's like the, you know, the guy that says, well, if two applicants are identical, but one has this certification, I'll take them. That's what we're going to do. When we run a course and, and we have a limited number, just like I do with MSB with TSP, we'll give founders first consideration to come to their courses. When all the seats are filled, we'll go outside. So we're going to try to make sure that this pays back over and over again. With a subscription service, uh, this is going to be like TV, like a weekly TV show basically, but better, probably more hours than you know one TV show. With the tenant farmers telling you what they're struggling with, with us showing you all of the things that are going on, um, you know, we're thinking maybe 10 bucks a month for that. We'll probably do, uh, founders can buy that subscription for like six or seven bucks, something like that. Uh, we're not sure on the final numbers yet, but definitely a discount on that. When we do courses, founders will get, you know, some level of a discount over the going rate. So we will, if we do a co-op eventually, because eventually I want to back a co-op into this and people want to invest in the co-op and we can only sell so many shares or something like that. I mean, first consideration with everything that we do going forward. We'll go to founders. So I'm sorry that I can't do the way I originally wanted to. I'm sorry I can't say if you are one of these people that when we declare a dividend, we're paying you a, a portion of the dividend in return. I'm sorry the government sucks, but I'm excited because I've been looking for a way to put action behind words in this world for a long time, beyond just a website, beyond just a podcast. So when somebody says to me, you can't do it, to say, well, we're doing it here, 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 so tell me I can't do it. This is our opportunity to make that happen. Again, I look forward to telling you more about it in the coming weeks. And with that, I want to say uh, it's time to introduce our special guest today and talk about a totally different subject. Like I said, kind of a two-for-one here. Uh, John Bush, who is just an incredible person, uh, one of the best and greatest activists for liberty uh, that I know of, a guy that's been willing to get himself arrested far more times than I have in the name of liberty and what's right. And he's here to talk to us today about how we can actually evolve a free society with Bitcoin and answer a lot of questions you guys have had about Bitcoin uh, for a long time that I've been leery to answer because I am not a Bitcoin expert. I'm just somebody that likes the concept and uses Bitcoin. And with that, hey, John, man, welcome to the Survival Podcast. Jack, thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure. John, um, I've got you on to talk about Bitcoin today. But for people that maybe don't know of your uh, notorious reputation and maybe didn't hear the first interview with you, could you tell folks just a little bit about your uh, your background, specifically as a liberty activist and what you're doing with Sovereign Living TV? Sure. Well, I've been an activist for change for probably about 12 years now, trying to create a more free, peaceful society. Um, did a lot with the ACLU back in college. I was an anti-war activist, anti-Bush and then in 2007, I was turned on to the philosophy of libertarianism through Ron Paul's presidential campaign, and that just really caught on in my mind. And from there, we started a local and state political action committee called Texans for Accountable Government, did a lot of work to push back against the police state and police brutality and Big Brother in general at the local and state level. Uh, and then I met uh, Catherine Bleich, my now wife and mother of our two kiddos. And we went around the country educating people about these fusion centers, this multi-jurisdictional law enforcement, big brother information sharing and intelligence, uh, information gathering and intelligence sharing systems. 
And we came back home, continued to do some political work, and we started to realize that, you know, the work we were putting in trying to enact political change, we weren't really getting a lot back as far as us having more freedom and realizing more freedom in our individual lives. While this was happening, we were beginning to study and appreciate the philosophy of anarchism or the idea that we we shouldn't be forced to participate in institutions we don't agree with. We shouldn't be dominated by these coercive hierarchies. Rather, we should just choose voluntary cooperation as a means of solving our common problems, fulfilling our wants and needs. So in large part, inspired by my wife, we decided in order to change the world, we're going to start by changing ourselves and we're going to work to live our lives in a more consistent manner, a manner that's more consistent with the philosophy of liberty. And in order to educate people about that and kind of spur ourselves to take it to the next level, we came up with this concept for this program called Sovereign Living. And essentially, it's a reality-based educational program following my family and I in our quest to become self-sufficient and lead a voluntary and natural life. And so far, we have about four episodes that are fully completed, and we're working on finishing the next two. And once we finish the first six, it'll be the first part of a 12-episode series. We'll likely put it out to the world to enjoy. And essentially, the idea of sovereign living is that we shouldn't live our lives in a manner that's dependent on centralized or coercive institutions, whether it's in the realm of food production, whether it's in the realm of defense, justice, and economics, which is something we're going to talk about today with Bitcoin. Uh, so we've been doing that. We've been doing a lot of speaking. We've been doing conferences. We've been trying to encourage people and inspire people to take responsibility for their lives and, and really show people there's another way to live. That as your slogan goes, you know, even if crap hits the fan, obviously that's the best bet. But if crap doesn't hit the fan, I think this is a better way to live that's more in line with, with our human nature. Yeah, I that's awesome, man. And I'll tell you what, we uh, we purchased the first three episodes on DVD. Uh, we watched those. It even kept my wife interested, so that <laughs> says a lot. And right. we're a- anxiously anticipating the release of the, you know, the, the, the next three. Um, in fact, very anxiously, we're, we're very excited to see where it goes from there. Um, moving on though, let's start talking about Bitcoin. Now, Bitcoin is one of these things that's kind of taken the world by storm, but it's been around a lot longer, I think, than most people realize. I was a skeptic for a long time. And then this, early this year, I looked at what was going on with it. I understood what it was, how it worked. And I also said that it was kind of funny, like, the full frontal assault is coming on Bitcoin this year. Mm-hmm. Therefore, I am getting on the Bitcoin train. <laughs> if they're going to attack it, I'm going to use it. We were chatting. We've taken in like $2,400 in Bitcoin nice. um, since we my conversations with you on how to do it, actually, uh, which was which thank you for that. And I, I said I think most of it's incremental revenue. But I've watched Bitcoin just hammered on TV shows by the news and the the you know the Mount Gox thing and all this other crap, mm-hmm. um, and yet Bitcoin stays and holds value, and people are confused by that. I think, and it doesn't help that there's people you know emailing spam around Bitcoin, the best way to become a billionaire in the next five weeks or some stupid crap mm-hmm. like that, and it's got people really confused. So the n- number one question I get when I talk to people about Bitcoin, even though people are becoming more and more receptive to it is, well, what is Bitcoin? So how would you answer that question? Essentially, uh, Bitcoin is a decentralized peer-to-peer digital currency that uses cryptography or the solving of complex math equations in order to avoid double spending and other fraudulent activities. It doesn't exist in the physical space. It exists as a series of ones and zeros, 
And really one of the most magical things about Bitcoin is there's what's called the blockchain. It's essentially a public ledger that can be stored on your computer or stored on the Internet. And this blockchain actually tracks every single Bitcoin transaction that takes place from the beginning of Bitcoin back in 2009 to till today. So, yeah, essentially it's a digital currency that is operated in a peer-to-peer fashion. There are no central institutions that you have to depend on in order to exchange the Bitcoin or in order to verify that uh, Bitcoin transactions are happening in a proper and just manner. And I think it's really revolutionizing the world because it, it is happening in this decentralized, voluntary way. And it's for the first time, really, a, a large international money system has been developed that isn't dependent on government. And I think that's really what's got the status quo shaken in their boots uh, in large part. And I'm hoping that people will see if we can create an institution like Bitcoin that isn't dependent on centralized or coercive institutions in, in the realm of money, we can do it with anything. I think the other thing people struggle with is, well, where does Bitcoin derive its value from? Why is it valuable if it's just a series of ones and zeros? Which, you know, it's funny when uh, when people say something like, well, it's not backed by anything. They turn around and spend dollars, <laughs> um, which are backed by debt. Uh, can you explain to people where Bitcoin derives value from? Yeah, well, for, I personally subscribe to sub, the subjective theory of value that's at the root of the Austrian school of economics, and it essentially holds that value is in the eye of the beholder. So in large part, because people see it as a medium of exchange that you can utilize across the world extremely fast with little to no fee whatsoever, I think the value li- that's where most of the value lies. But a lot of people say it's backed by nothing. I disagree. See, there's two things to Bitcoin that uh, people aren't aware of. There's actually Bitcoin with an uppercase B, and there's Bitcoin with a lowercase B. Bitcoin with the uppercase B describes Bitcoin, Bitcoin the technology, and Bitcoin the network. Bitcoin with the lowercase B describes Bitcoin as a currency, which is the medium of exchange that's traded on the uppercase B Bitcoin network. And essentially where I believe the true value in Bitcoin lies is this peer-to-peer decentralized network that has hundreds of thousands or millions of nodes across the entire globe. And essentially it can be used for more applications than just currency. Currency is only the first application that's being utilized by the Bitcoin network. It can be used to build alternative forms of government. It can be used for smart contracts. There's applications being created for decentralized peer-to-peer ride-sharing programs. Uh, the sky really is the limit. So when people say that Bitcoin isn't backed by anything or there's no value in Bitcoin, I disagree. I think the real value lies in this massive network, which just so happens to be the largest supercomputer in the world. It's said that the Bitcoin network, again, which is uh, distributed throughout the entire globe with millions of people operating these nodes of Bitcoin miners, which we can talk about more later. Uh, people say that that network is actually 4,000 times more powerful than even the NSA's most powerful supercomputer. So in my opinion, that's where the true value lies in this decentralized network that can be utilized for more than just a medium of exchange. I, I see a lot of different ways that there's value to Bitcoin, too, beyond just the medium of exchange, that spring off of medium of exchange. In other words, the fact that I, as a business owner, can take Bitcoin and, and gather revenue that I would not otherwise have, incremental revenue. 
anybody that knows anything about running a business, the holy grail of business is, is the development of incremental revenue streams during a business cycle. That's all money you would not have had otherwise, whether it's through a marketing initiative or viral initiative or uh, I actually consider it kind of a promotional thing. In other words, I had one person that bought my MSB for 50 bucks worth of Bitcoin. They sent me an email and said, I don't know who you are. I don't even care about what you do. <laughs> but somebody posted on a Bitcoin thing that it was a big deal that you started taking Bitcoin. So I'm buying the one product you sell for it nice. to support you because you take Bitcoin. Yeah. Well, holy crap. That's that's awesome. I mean, that, that that's actually incredible that, that somebody would do that. The other thing that I see is, as long as Bitcoin is exchangeable into other different types of currency or value, it has value from that. In other words, what I've always said about money, and what I love about Bitcoin is I've been told I'm wrong about this forever, and Bitcoin has just said, no, you're not, <laughs> and that is that money is a psychological contract between members of economies, and it actually derives its value from the economy in which it, 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 it circles in. Mm -hmm. So what that means is that every time somebody says, I'll take Bitcoin for anything, it adds to the value of Bitcoin because now the contract has increased in size and scope. Now with Federal Reserve notes, what do they constantly do? They constantly inflate the quantity of Federal Reserve notes available, mm -hmm. so they outpace the, the economic growth with the currency growth through fractional reserve banking and direct reserve banking. Uh, and or fractional reserve release, and f so the, the the Federal Reserve inflates, and then the banks inflate. Where with Bitcoin, we know there'll only ever be so many Bitcoins. We know how long they're going to be able to be mined. So as the economy grows around Bitcoin, it it, it creates a, a point at which Bitcoin must increase in value because instead of making more Bitcoins, what we do is fractionalize down. So the fact that it, there's there's something in Bitcoin that's not in any other currency, including gold. Known quantity, period. Right? There's, mm -hmm. a, there's a knowledge that there will never be more than X, that X will occur on this date, that these are the reserves, if you want to call them that, that they're all extractable. This is the method of extraction through, through mathematics. And you know for a fact that this stability is here. And when you say, but how do we handle it when the currency gets too strong? Well, how many zeros do you want to put before the one? And the decimal point, right? Yeah. So that known quantity gives a confidence to members of the economy that some central authority can't just say, you know what, we need more money, so we'll issue it and suck value from the existing economy. Mm -hmm. And and that does you, – if you can think of a, of a commodity that does that other than Bitcoin, John, tell me what it is because it ain't gold. Tell me exactly how much gold's available, exactly how much can be extracted, when it's going to be extracted. I mean give me those numbers and you can't do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it creates a lot of certainty, which is a necessary component of a thriving economy. One of the reasons why the U.S. economy and global economies are in the dumps is, as you said, central banks and central planners are manipulating the currency, manipulating the interest rates, creating false signals for entrepreneurs who then invest when perhaps they shouldn't have invested just because it was an inflated bubble. That all comes crashing down, and, and now people are uncertain about what's going to happen next, so they're not investing and it just creates all sorts of chaos. With Bitcoin, we know exactly what's going to happen in the future. We know for a fact that there will never be more than 21 million Bitcoin in circulation. We know exactly how long it's going to take to extract those Bitcoin through the process of mining. I think, I think it's like 2150, somewhere around there where the, the final Bitcoins will be mined. And then Bitcoin is divisible all the way to eight decimal points. 
and that's called a Satoshi. So when the, we don't need to print more money, we don't need to create more Bitcoin, we can simply change uh, the value of Bitcoin according because uh, it's uh, divisible again to eight decimal points. But yeah, I agree. That's that's something that I'm really excited about. And the price right now is volatile. Um, it's actually been leveling out. It's it stayed pretty stable around 700 to 800 for a while. And then all this Mount Gox nonsense nonsense happened. But nonetheless, it's still been stable around 600. dollars I think it's trading for around 570 right now. But what's really cool is the value, the actual price per a Bitcoin in many instances, is irrelevant. Regardless of what a Bitcoin is trading for, you're still going to be able to use Bitcoin for exactly what Bitcoin offers, how it offers it, and when it offers it. And by that, I mean if, if my goal is to send value to you, Jack, we don't live in the same city. We live in the state, same state, but still nonetheless, I'll have to mail a check or I'll have to send money through Western Union, which is like 5 to 10%. If I wanted to use Bitcoin to send you value, whether Bitcoin is $1 or $1,000, if I wanted to send $100 worth of value, if Bitcoin's $1, I would simply go buy 100 Bitcoin, send it to you. You could then exchange it for your native currency or hold on to it. If Bitcoin is worth $1,000, I would simply buy a tenth of a Bitcoin, send it to you, and then you can immediately convert it to FRNs if you wanted to do such a thing. And uh, it would act just the same. So there is a, a relative price instability compared to other assets. But again, Bitcoin is brand new on the scene, so it's it's a little bit more volatile. It's easier to to change the value when massive uh, volume uh, volume gets traded, unlike other currencies. But I expect that to level out as Bitcoin becomes more adopted and as, become, as more people uh, become aware of Bitcoin and, and its value, its true value. Well, and then let's talk a little bit about comparing it to another volatile commodity that people think is the you know a, a real money, silver, and 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 real life how it differs. So I've had people send me Bitcoin. All of the Bitcoin they've sent me has ended up in my Coinbase account. Nobody has stolen any. And people point to like like Mt. Gox and say, look, see, it's, it's Bitcoin. And it's like, that to me, that's like saying, well, since somebody hacked somebody's PayPal account, stole their dollars, dollars are bad. Mm -hmm. I give you a lot of reasons dollars are bad, but somebody getting their account hacked is not one of them. Mm -hmm. Not really. Not, not, you know, not overall as dollars go. But I take silver for my support brigade. We have people mail silver in. We had somebody today get clever and put it in the middle of a like a junk mail catalog to hide it. Nice. And we've asked people, when you send us silver, please do something to not make obvious that there's a big round coin in there. <laughs> because we have had multiple occurrences of theft from the United States mail. Right? No. That's a federal crime. And, you know, we, we both believe in uh, the, the dream of a stateless society, but when it comes down to crimes you don't want to commit – Federal criminal activity is one of the worst places to be tried. They're risking federal penitentiary over a $20 coin, but they'll do it. And I'm telling you, they've stole multiple times we've had it stolen. So silver, which is supposed to be better because it's backed by real value, and I'm not against silver at all. I love silver. But you have to send it in the mail. You have to pay shipping, and you have to risk theft. Bitcoin, you can send it to me. Boom. I've got it. It's done. Mm -hmm. And I, if there is risk of theft due to hacking or whatever, it's certainly less. Yeah. Yeah, it's much less risky than the alternatives. And my wife and I were big into silver. That was our alternative currency of choice before we were exposed to Bitcoin. We would even go around Austin encouraging local businesses and farmers market vendors to accept silver as a medium of exchange. And I found fewer people were willing to trade their silver compared to people willing to trade their Bitcoin. But, yeah, the, the cool thing about Bitcoin and the algorithms and the cryptography that's associated with Bitcoin is 
No matter how big or strong or crafty you are, even the world's most powerful government with guns ablazing, they could break into your home and crack into your safe and take your silver, your gold, your precious metals, your guns, or, or whatever. But with Bitcoin, if you memorize your private key, which is pretty dang long and it might be difficult to memorize, but it could be done, or if you hide the private key somewhere, there's no way anyone is accessing that Bitcoin. It's not stored physically on your person. You can have the Bitcoin, in, a se in essence, stored in your mind if you remember the, pri the private key. There's a public key and a private key associated with any Bitcoin address uh, that's stored in a Bitcoin wallet. You use the public key to send people to receive the Bitcoin. Most often people show it in a QR code so you could scan it with a smartphone, for example. And then you hold on to that private key. Now, some uh, wallet services, they have access to your private keys. Others do not. So if you use a service that doesn't allow the private key to be exposed to anyone except for yourself, in reality, there's no way anyone could take your Bitcoin, even the government. Even if the IRS came and wanted to audit you and you simply said, hmm, no, I forgot my private key or my hard drive crashed, there's no way they're going to get your money. I think that's why they're so terrified because in many instances, you can, if you play your cards right, it can be uninvestigatable. And then even if they want to investigate you, they can't. And then if they want to take the Bitcoin from you, they need your private keys in order to do so. And without the private keys, they're pretty much SOL. Yeah. Did you hear about the moron from TSA that demanded to see somebody's Bitcoin? <laughs> yeah, that was my good friend Davi Barker. He's an author and libertarian activist. He's with Bitcoin Not Bombs. He had a bag full of pins. He does this, uh, this service – it's called uh, – I forget exactly what the name of it is. Shinybadges.com is what it is. He makes yeah, these cool yeah. anarchist badges. He's got all these cool Bitcoin ones. And I guess the TSA has recently been trained on how to spot Bitcoin or they've been trained on – you can't really spot Bitcoin. They've been trained on Bitcoin because there's all these regulations that say you can't travel internationally with $10,000 or more or you have to claim it. So obviously with Bitcoin, you could put it on a hard drive or, again, you could just write out your private key or memorize your private key. You could go anywhere in the entire globe. There's no way for governments to stop it. So they saw his bag of his shiny badges, and they must have assumed that they're what's called a Cassius coin, which is a physical in incarnation of Bitcoin that has the private yeah. key on the back. And they pulled him aside and started questioning him about his Bitcoin, which was, was pretty surprising. He said it was pretty scary. But, yeah, the TSA has been alerted to Bitcoin and yeah. thankfully, there's nothing they could do about it. There's nothing they could do about it. <laughs> just, just a side note, I didn't realize that's who it was, but Shiny Badges is actually on the TSP gear shop as a friend of uh, uh, gear from Friends of TSP. All so right. if anybody wants a Bitcoin lapel pin or any of the other uh, the, uh, the the badges from Shiny Badges, you can get them at tspgear.com. That's that's cool that our circles are beginning to get that small, John. Yeah. Um, on another note, though, we've talked a little bit already, but can you expand on how it's advantageous for a business to accept Bitcoin. Not just that it can be done, but like it's actually more advantageous than taking cash or opens up other opportunities. Sure. There's a lot of whole scores of local businesses across the world that are starting to accept Bitcoin. There's a wonderful website, coinmap.org, which you can visit in order to see if there's any local businesses in your area. It's linked on our website at sovereignbtc.com. But essentially, if you're a small business owner, if you're a merchant, it's in your interest to accept Bitcoin for multiple reasons, in large part because Bitcoin, as an alternative to credit cards, there's much, much smaller fees. There's a coffee shop down the road. I've been hitting up about Bitcoin for quite some time. Um, last time my wife talked to him, they said, oh, I, that sounds like a conspiracy to undermine the U.S. economy. 
which is kind of nationalistic in its thinking because this is a global yeah. thing. It's not geared at any economy in, in particular. And if the United States government adopted it, it would actually strengthen the U.S. economy. And if they stopped regulating it and got the hell out of the way, it would strengthen what's happening here in the U.S. But nonetheless, I've been hammering on them. I went in the other day to use a card. You know, I can't use my Bitcoin everywhere, and they don't accept silver. Uh, so I, I bought a muffin. Actually, it was a biscotti. It was a dollar fifty. And he said, "Well, you know, you, it's actually a three dollar minimum if you're going to be using a card. And the reason, of course, is because these credit cards charge three to four percent, and it's not in the business's interest to make a whole slew of these small transactions. But with Bitcoin, you can make micro payments all day, even for fifty cents or less. There's a wonderful service called BitPay, and most small business owners I talk to, their initial reaction is, "Well, Bitcoin's volatile. I have overhead, so I can't keep." You know, my money in Bitcoin, I'll, I won't be able to pay my people if it crashes 25% the next day. Well, there's this wonderful service, BitPay, that allows you to receive Bitcoin and have it immediately converted to the fiat currency of your choice. And then it'll be deposited in your account about two to three days later. It's BitPay.com. They offer just 1% fee. Uh, you could pay a monthly fee and have no percentage points. But it ends up working out big time in your favor when compared to this 3 or 4%. It's so easy to use. It's easy to train. It's easier to train your employees than it is to train them on how to operate a credit card terminal and sign in. And of course, that's dependent on your phone line going in and out. The Bitcoin is dependent on the internet service uh, on, on that token. But here's another benefit that you experience, Jack. Bitcoin is such a hot buzz right now. If you simply put out a press release or just put it out to the world that you started accepting Bitcoin, it could get picked up by local media in your area, the local paper, maybe even like the Wall Street Journal covers a lot of this local stuff. Put it out on Reddit, put it out on Facebook, and you'll see a surge in business, especially if there's a dedicated Bitcoin community in your area, which we're seeing all over the country. There's regular Bitcoin meetups that are popping up. So there's a whole multitude. It keeps you on the cutting edge, too, and it gives you a slight advantage over your competition. And I believe, genuinely, this is why Bitcoin is going to be adopted mainstream, because large uh, retail outlets like Overstock.com are going to start accepting Bitcoin and their competition's going to be like, oh man, you know, they're getting a three, three to four percent advantage over us for every Bitcoin transaction that they use. We're going to have to hop on board too in order to keep up. And I think that's going to turn into a snowballing effect. And before you know it, Target, Amazon, and, and the likes will be accepting Bitcoin as well. But yeah, it's definitely very beneficial for small businesses. And I actually operate a consulting firm, Sovereign BTC. We specialize in media, marketing, and consulting, and we do a weekly podcast that's featured on the Let's Talk Bitcoin network. So if there's anybody that's interested in learning more about how it could benefit their business, I'd be happy to chat with them over the phone or over email and give people some good insight on getting it set up. It's not that difficult as you experience. It's not hard to no, set up at it, all. It took me about an hour and a half one morning when I just – it was actually like a week after I had my discussion with you what to do. I sat down. It took me an hour and a half to get everything set up, and I had my first Bitcoin sale about 45 minutes after that hour and a half was over. Nice. I put out a notice and said, hey, I take Bitcoin for MSB now. And I had my 45. I can't guarantee everybody that. And I'm a little tech savvy, so it, it wasn't hard for me to set everything up. And I did do a few things a little uh, creative to make it work with my model. But, I mean, if I can do it that fast, and just about anybody could. I want to give you some good news. You're talking about like small businesses, and I did not know about CoinMap. I'm sitting there right now, and I'm finding little businesses all over uh, the Dallas area, including some pretty uh, high-end CRM software for customer service uh, relationship management, nice. uh, small companies, uh, two medical clinics. But how about this? Five-star Ford Carrollton. <laughs> I know that dealership. That is a uh, massive car dealership yes. uh, right off I-35. 
in, uh, in, in Carrollton Farmers Branch area. Uh, so apparently you can go buy a new Ford truck with Bitcoin. Yes. Yeah, and if you have any online presence for your uh, local business, it's a, it's a must because the online world – this is going to be the currency of the internet in no time. It's already trending that way outside of just people walking into your retail store brick and mortar. If you have any service-based – uh, business, obviously for webmasters and web development. But yeah, it really is a no-brainer. And I think it's important to be ahead of the curve. If, you know, for As far as the bottom line, when profit comes along, if you're ahead of the curve, you're going to have a better advantage competitively over your your competitors. And yeah, Bitcoin's definitely the way to go. Again, it's easy. And there's so many people that are enthusiastically inclined to help you out as well on social media. And like I said, you could visit SovereignBTC.com. We have a contact page there. I'd be happy to help people out as well. There's a Fast Trends Inc. Uh, gas station in uh, Temple right by you that takes Bitcoin. It's it is definitely growing. Um, yeah, this coin again, guys out there listening, CoinMap.org. Uh, if you have a business and you take Bitcoin, get on it. I'll, I'll get. I don't have a storefront, so I might put my store in the middle of uh, of Eagle Mountain Lake or something. So I don't give away <laughs> my address, but uh, I'm going to get myself on the map when we get we get done. So that's awesome. Um, could you also talk about? How this all relates to the creation of a free society, you and I, I guess most would, would call ourselves anarchists, at least an ideal. I don't have, like people say, well, exactly how would all that work? Well, I don't know. We never tried yet, but <laughs> we could start heading in that direction. Uh, I see Bitcoin as a great way to head in that direction because when people say, well, how would you do X without government? Like one of the most difficult questions to answer really would be money. How would you, you know, regulate money without government? And regulate maybe is the wrong word, but if we can say, well, Larry, here, like this is how you do money without government, mm-hmm. it really starts to chip away at the feet of the statute. Yeah, that's right. Uh, I want to make a quick point on – we can get back to this too where people can use Bitcoin. There's a website, gift.com, G-Y-F-T.com. You can get gift cards with Bitcoin and use them at Whole Foods, which is an organic grocer. You can use them at Target. You can use them at Amazon, so you could buy just about anything, and they just wow. added Walmart. So you can make purchases at Walmart, Target, Amazon, a whole slew of stores by purchasing this gift card with Bitcoin. So in that, and you know, people say, well, what can you buy with Bitcoin? You can buy just about anything through that service. Dude, I got to stop you because I'm I'm looking at something that freaking is awesome. I'm on that site now, gyft.com, and it, now accepting Visa, Mastercard, Amex, Discover, PayPal, Bitcoin. That's actually the first place I've ever seen all of those logos together. <laughs> And that, and then at the bottom, you know, Ellen, CNET, Mashable, Forbes, and Gadget at the bottom of that website. Um, that's starting to show the direction we're headed. So I want to let you go back to your question, but just when I saw that, I'm going to actually screenshot this <laughs> and uh, put this up that's somewhere. Exciting. Yeah, they just added Walmart. So people that have Bitcoin, gift.com, G-Y-F-T.com. But yeah, to answer your question, that's the 100 million Bitcoin question. Uh, my, my, you know, for the past five, six years, I've been an anarchist and I've tried to put anarchism into practice and I've abandoned political, I've gone post-political and I've focused my time on building alternative institutions that can grow and rival the state. And we could show people that there's other ways to do things that are not dependent on coercion, hierarchy, control, fear, slavery, rather dependent on voluntary cooperation and mutual benefit and peaceful exchange. And I think Bitcoin is so wonderful, and this is originally why I was so turned on by Bitcoin, because it's anarchism in action. Everyone that participates in the Bitcoin economy is doing so of their own accord. 
They're not being coerced or forced to participate in this economy. And I think we could show people that, look, we can do it with money, which is one of the big things. Yeah, like defense, justice, and money, I think, are the big three things that people, even even libertarians say, well, we need a small government in order to, to make sure our borders are secure, in order to make sure that people, uh, at the, at they have their day in court, and again, in order to regulate the money and make sure we have these weights and measures, that which was even in the Constitution, which I think is, is an overreach for a government to do in the first place. It's antithetical to the free market, but with Bitcoin... We can do all of those things, essentially, and we don't have to rely on the central government. Now, with it, and of course with freedom, comes immense personal responsibility. And that's one thing that people need to be aware of using Bitcoin. If you're not doing it properly and you let something slip up, you can have your Bitcoin wallet hacked and stuff taken. Uh, also, there's no chargebacks with Bitcoin. So once you send that Bitcoin, there's no way to call up Visa and say, you know, this was fraud. They're not and they're not doing their end of the deal. There's no way to have a PayPal reverse the transaction, which is a benefit on the on the retail or the business, the merchant side. But you got to have personal responsibility, and that comes with any time you're dealing with freedom, any time you're dealing with an individual taking things into their own hands. You got to pay attention to that personal responsibility, but. I think it's just the beginning. Now, if you really want to talk about a free society and related to Bitcoin, there's this whole idea called Bitcoin 2.0, which is utilizing the Bitcoin blockchain. Again, that's the public ledger that's kept. Essentially, it's the heart of Bitcoin. There is no physical Bitcoin. Your Bitcoin is stored as a part of this Bitcoin blockchain, which keeps tracks of all of the inputs, all the Bitcoin you've received and all of the outputs, all the Bitcoins you've sent. And actually, every time a transaction takes place, this mining network, the nodes I referred to earlier, the first thing they do is go through and check and make sure – I don't know if it's the first thing they do, but one of the important things they do is go through and check and make sure that, in fact, you have the amount of Bitcoin that you say you have when you're sending it. And they do that by going through every single Bitcoin transaction that you've made through your wallet address and making sure that you had enough Bitcoin come in and that you didn't send enough Bitcoin out to the point where you have the actual amount of Bitcoin that you're sending compared to what banks do. They just keep a running ledger with one particular number. This is a way that you can prevent double spending, which was a big problem that Bitcoin overcame. But again, outside of the currency, outside of the medium of exchange, the second level applications of Bitcoin is what really has me excited. And I've been tossing around this idea. We talked about freedom cells last time I was on your program, which essentially is a decentralized mutual aid society. It's the idea where you get together with 8 to 12 of your closest friends and family, people that you love and trust, and you commit yourselves to one another. You then try to find 8 to 12 groups of 8 to 12. Now you have one group of 80 to 120. You commit yourself to that group, not as committed as you are to your core inner cadre of 8 to 12. I call them 100 group, the middle cadre. Then you go and try to agitate for the creation of 8 to 12 groups of 80 to 120. Now you have around 1,000 people. This carries on all the way, you know, to as many. Hopefully, we can get the entire world in on a system like this, rather than a statist, coercive, top-down system. But one thing that I realized could be done with Bitcoin is the blockchain could be utilized in order to organize this system and in order to engage in what lefties call participatory democracy. So, say you have your group of a thousand people organized. Everyone's using a common token. There's different types of tokens that could be created on top of the Bitcoin network. And let's say that you guys want to decide to either join up with another group of a thousand or maybe we're all going to pitch in and buy this particular uh, piece of land or we're going to do some action that takes all of our, our, our energy together. You can vote essentially using these block, the blockchain by sending your tokens to a particular address. It could be totally publicly auditable and you could realize that, okay, we don't have 100% consensus, so we're not going to move forward. 
or maybe 400 of the 1,000 people are interested in participating in a certain action. The other 600 who aren't interested don't have to participate. It also could work for awesome mutual aid applications or even replace the centralized Obamacare healthcare system altogether. So say you got your group of 100 people. My friend Stephen just recently broke his femur, and uh, he has insurance, thankfully, and they're taking care of that. But say we're trying to move past that paradigm, everyone could chip in 50 bucks. And that 50 bucks could be put in escrow until at least half of the people chip in. Now you have $2,500. Uh, or maybe we want to have a consensus where everyone chips in. All that money could be held in an escrow account and then sent to his wallet for him to use for his health care. We can all start helping each other in this manner without having to rely on these centralized institutions. Uh, likewise, say uh, you know people are saying this is one of our goals is to buy a 100-acre piece of property and move on that property with our friends and family and build our own little mini free society in essence. This could be done by people chipping in a certain amount of Bitcoin every month, and we don't make the purchase until we've all contributed our $10,000 or $25,000 share. That all goes into escrow with the common goal. We could even program into the, the technology not to send out the money until everyone's chipped in a certain amount, and then we buy that piece of property together. So... Outside of just using Bitcoin as a currency, there's all sorts of implications to utilize this decentralized network in order to solve our common problems and help one another. And I think really when we tap into that type of potential with this Bitcoin blockchain, we can leave these governmental systems in the dust entirely. And I would rather see government be eradicated, but if government were to adopt this blockchain type system, the public would be able to audit everything they do. They wouldn't That's be able awesome. to do things outside of what... Uh, they're told, you know, like you can have a constitution that's transcribed in digital code form. And if the government wants to spend money on A, B or C, the code, the program will see, well, we haven't been empowered to do A, B or C, so we can't send the money out. And then also, yeah, again, the public can check everything. Basically, keep you honest ledger, like right. the code would have to be altered. And therefore, whatever process was in place for altering the code or the Constitution would have to be satisfied for the code to be altered. So it would be just like, yeah, the computer says you're not allowed to do that. Right. And, and, and you could actually set that up where actually altering it would be noticeable. So it would keep, you can't just do it, but it wouldn't be hard to do. You would just have to satisfy the requirements. Mm -hmm. So they, they, when they say, well, we might get into a situation where we didn't think about this and everybody agrees that it should be done, but yeah, we can't do it. No, 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 no. You would just have to satisfy the requirements. Mm -hmm. Um, and the voting component to Bitcoin where we could actually use Bitcoin, like, I'll send you a Saatchi, and the system will send it back to me to record a vote, mm -hmm. and that makes it where one wallet, one vote uh, is is verifiable and identifiable if we want it to be that way. I think it allows us to use democracy for good because a lot of people that are in the anarcho world think, well, democracy is evil. Democracy is where I take my will and force it on you with a majority. Not necessarily. Democracy can be used in any voluntary society – as long as I have the freedom to not participate if I don't like the outcome, as long as I can leave, it, it allows us to determine a solution. So if we have our group, let's say we move uh, 100 families onto 100 acres, let's say, we're making a decision for the whole community. It's great that we vote, and I think most people, when a vote is fair, uh, look at that and go, okay, well, that, if that's what 80% of the people want, I'm not totally happy with it, but... I can go along with this as long as I know my voice is heard, or they can go, you know what, this isn't for me, I'm going somewhere else. Mm -hmm. and, and that freedom allows a democratic process to work. The other thing necessary is I have to believe the result. It, it, whether I win or lose, for this to work, 
I have to have confidence in the result. I have to know I haven't been cheated. I haven't been frauded. That the people running the election haven't screwed me over because uh, that never happens or anything, right? Mm-hmm. With Bitcoin, we can audit it. We can audit it down to the point because we can make it very anonymous or very public where we could actually have somebody go out and ask, John, John, did, did, did you actually vote this way? Yep. And, we, you know, there's this, all this stuff about hidden ballots. I think in small communities, nobody's really unwilling to say what they want. The hidden ballot is a great way to create voter fraud, honestly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Of course, when the, the very people that are in the election, their insider crony network is the one that's running the machines. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, the the possibilities are endless, and that's why I like to use the term participatory participatory democracy. It's I think it's a left liberal, left anarchist type term. But I've been trying to introduce it to libertarians, and I think it, it has a lot of appeal for people that are left liberals as well. Yeah, you don't have to participate unless you choose to participate in that particular function. And and something like the blockchain, it can it can make sure that we're honest in that, and we could say, well, you know, I'm not putting my money to this particular program. Like I think a great middle place for our the creation of a free society is to live in an environment where anarchists and statists can exist in cohesion, whereby the anarchists aren't forced to participate in the institutions that they don't use. Like maybe we can give a little little middle ground and say, okay, we're going to pay the gas tax because we use the roads and they're already established right. like that. We're not going to be able to build new roads until we build our flying DeLorean. Uh, you know, I used I used the park. I go play frisbee golf with my brother and my family and I. We walk down to the park. Actually, the park here in San Marcos was built entirely on donated money, and in fact, the entire community came together and built it back in the 70s, which is pretty cool. But you know, say you use the municipal parks, chip in your fee, but you have your own firearm. You don't ever call the police. You take care of that yourself. You have built your own distributed decentralized defense network in your neighborhood. You don't have to pay for that. You don't have to pay for that. So yeah. I think it's a good middle ground, and I could see the blockchain. You know, legitimately being used for that purpose. Another cool thing the blockchain can do to replace government is it can replace co- county clerks and magistrates and probates altogether. <laughs> so, for example, we had our children. We didn't get them Social Security numbers. Uh, the midwife was required to file a birth certificate because she was a licensed midwife. However, we didn't sign it, and in our eyes, it's, you know, it's, it's nonsense. But one thing that we could do, and we're going to go back and do this, and we're definitely going to do it the day of with our, with our third child – is you can record the birth of your child into the blockchain with a timestamp to show that your child was born on this given day in this particular area. Uh, likewise, when you get married, we didn't we got married and we don't have a license. We can record our marriage into uh, the blockchain. Things that are simpler: the transfer of property. The the blockchain and the Bitcoin network is a wonderful tool. To essentially, that's all it is. It's a it's a legitimate means of transferring property that doesn't rely on a centralized institution. So every time you send those Bitcoin, of course, you're literally transferring that value, that property. But there's this thing called coming out called BitShares, and there's all these programs like the Master Protocol and NXT Coin. These are the Bitcoin 2.0 applications that people can utilize. But essentially, it's a it's a property thing. So say we have that hundred acres, somebody buys ten of the acres. We go ahead and send them 10 of these Satoshis or whatever token we're utilizing. They hold on to them. They keep their private key secured, and they can use that as a certificate of title. Now we don't have to rely on the county clerk. We don't have to rely on the the Texas Department of Transportation to show that we have property in our, our vehicle, our automobile, for example. 
so yeah, the possibilities are endless, and there's so many applications that could genuinely replace the state. We don't have to rely on the bureaucrats to do it. We don't even have to fund it through taxation. We can just use this blockchain as a court of record, essentially, to have things publicly viewable and have an audit trail. Well, I've always said that what Bitcoin really is in its essence is a system of accounting. Mm-hmm. That's really what it comes down to. I send you Bitcoin. Uh, I have to have had Bitcoin to send you Bitcoin. Uh, now you've received the Bitcoin. You now have the Bitcoin. The blockchain says Jack's Bitcoins are now John's Bitcoins. And Jack needs to go get other Bitcoins if he wants to do anything. And John can use them to do whatever he wants. And because it's so accurate, it's so valid, that is a big part of the value right there in of itself. All of the things you're talking about are just accounting of other items. Like when we hear the word accounting, because we've been programmed by the state, we see a dollar sign. You must be accounting for dollars or financial value. But the reality is all possessions, all things, all private properties, all collective properties, all things can be accounted for. Mm -hmm. And, And what the Bitcoin blockchain does and other similar technologies do is create a means of accounting. So there's actually no reason that we couldn't use the blockchain to do something like this. Let's say I have a car. And you're like, Jack, I like that car. That's an awesome classic car. And I'm like, cool. And you're like, well, I don't have any money. I don't even have any Bitcoins. But I've got this piece of land that I think is worth about what your car's worth. And I could go, you know what? I'll take that piece of land for that car. There's no reason we couldn't have a, a blockchain protocol for me to actually give you my land in return for your car. Mm-hmm. Or you give me your land for my car. There's no reason that couldn't be done. Yeah, we just need to uh, to grow a community of people that will respect that as the authority when it comes to indicating Correct. who owns property. But I think that you know that network already exists. There's so many believers and there's so many people in the liberty community that we just have to come together and agree that this is what we're going to do. And then when people stray from that, we can use ostracism and we could put it out there that they're no longer adopting the business practices that our community holds to be true. And they could deal with the consequences of that. But we're not very far off from this happening. We just need people to do it. And before long, it'll be the norm. At least it'll be the norm for our community. And that's fine if everyone else wants to use this hocus-pocus magic money that's easily manipulable and they want to rely on central planning in order to dictate where the money's spent and, and how what the interest rates are. And they want some bureaucrat to keep the record. We don't, we don't need that anymore. That's what makes me so optimistic about the, the genuine creation of a free society Hopefully it's in my lifetime. Maybe when I'm getting gray and, and old and 90 or 100 sitting on the front porch, I'll can sit back and take a deep breath and say, wow, you know, this is what freedom's like, if not my children's lifetime. But the technology is really just creating an environment where the state is going to be irrelevant before long. And even though they have technology and they have these microwave weapons and unmanned aerial drones, I feel confident that the people and the will of the people to, to live free will overcome that every time. Like in Turkey, for example, they just tried to shut down Twitter, and you got people all over town spray-painting a DNS uh, address that people can log in through their Internet and use Twitter. You know, like, you can't overcome yeah, that, people that like that. Yeah, that ship is sailed, dude. When I hear people say, well, one day, Jack, they can shut the whole Internet down, great. If you want 5 million college students to tear the clowns out of their seats <laughs> at the Capitol building, go ahead. No, seriously, shut it down. Go ahead and see what happens. Yeah. And and they're not stupid, dude. They know that. Yeah. They, they, they're they the people that, in, in by and large, did create the modern Internet 
enabled it, empowered it, and I believe the government thought this would be the greatest propaganda tool on earth, <laughs> but yet they couldn't take it forward, so they, they did it in a way where the free market could develop it further. They've done everything they can to make it their tool, and there's just too many people with too much power and too much knowledge and too much exchange now, and it's like they let that genie out of the bottle. Yep. The genie's not going back in. Yep. It, it, you can't put him back in. He's out, and he's unleashing a can of whoop-ass on the establishment. <laughs> That's what I see Bitcoin as being. You, you can't do that. There's no way to undo this now. Yep. Because the, the, one of the conspiracy theories is, you know what? It's the government, man. The government created Bitcoin, and, and they're just using it to establish like a global currency. I don't buy that. But even if they did, that was another dumbass move. <laughs> I, I, it, it's like, okay, so you created this on an open protocol network, an open systems network where we can create duck coins and uh, Xavier Hawk is working on something called permacredits that uses the Bitcoin yeah. protocol where you can take a Bitcoin and exchange it for a permacredit and use it basically like a share in a company that invests in good things and develops things uh, and have voting rights through it and return of surplus through it. Yes. And there's just like, that's just one permeation. There's millions of permeations coming off of this now. And it's like, even if you did do this, I, first of all, I don't think they're bright enough. I don't think they're creative enough. I don't think they have an understanding of their own system enough to develop something like this. But even if they did, it's like the Internet. Too bad for you. You should have done it this way. You're screwed. Yeah. Yeah, they blew it. Yeah, there's a lot out there. The NSA was putting out some reports uh, exploring cryptography as a, a means of uh, money and value exchange. But, yeah, I, I have the exact same opinion. If, if you put it out there thinking you could do something with it, you, it was a big, huge mistake. Because of the open source nature, it can be utilized by anyone. It's just like a gun. A gun is a piece of technology that can be used for self-defense. It could be used as a, a deterrent from for tyranny, but it could also be used to harm people and, and, and rape people and coerce people. And it's, it's used by government in large part to perform genocide and do some really nasty things. The worst thing is to get people to give up their own freedom and to voluntarily opt into all these programs just because of the presence of the gun, the gun in the room, the idea of it. But nonetheless, it's just a tool. It's an inanimate object that could be used for good or bad. The same thing with Bitcoin, same thing with the Internet. I would say the same thing with government, but I think it's inherently evil in that in order to participate, it's, it's coercive. Maybe a voluntary institution, of course, would be different from that. But yeah, I, I hold the same opinion. Even if the government did create it, the cat's out of the bag, and there's nothing they could do to control it at this point. And in my opinion, uh, based on my observations... Uh, most people that are using it right now are anarchists and and cypherpunks and liberty people and people that want to opt out of the Federal Reserve note. Now, there is a whole mess of uh, legacy money and Wall Street money and venture capital out of California, Wall Street money out of New York City that's starting to flood its way into Bitcoin. And there's a whole slew, there's a large contingent of people in the Bitcoin ecosystem that are actually calling on government to regulate Bitcoin because in large part they believe it will stabilize the currency like we saw with the FRN uh, or they believe it will bring legitimacy. In my opinion, it's probably just their own self-interest thinking it's going to increase the value of Bitcoin in large part. But there is a contingent of Bitcoiners that are hopping in bed with the government and I don't like the way that that's going. But nonetheless, even if Bitcoin becomes regulated, highly regulated, even if they come out with what they're calling the bit license, where you have to have one of these licenses in order to engage in Bitcoin transactions or accept Bitcoin, oh. it's going to be easier than any other type of exchange that's ever existed to circumvent and subvert the state and to say, okay, you guys want to regulate it. You got these 
you know, the implications for income tax here, and you, you're going to make me do A, B, or C, or I got to get this massive money transmitter license that costs six figures plus. To hell with you. I'm just going to encrypt my wallet even more so than I had it before, and I'm not going to tell you what I'm doing. So even though yeah. that that does exist, the threat that the government could come in and, and just you know rain on our parade, this currency compared to any other currency will make it easier for agorists and anarchists to circumvent the state entirely. And that that well, I remain hopeful. Gonna, if they really screw with it, we're just going to develop a new new like Bitcoin 8.0, <laughs> yeah. right? It's like it, it doesn't even like their regulations don't even apply to it because it uses technology they never thought of, yeah. and then everybody's going to transfer their money over there and go now. You guys play with that shit that you ruined. That's right. I mean, it's it's. It would be very stupid for them to overregulate something like cryptocurrency in general at this point, because I actually believe that as it gains broader mainstream acceptance, if they just said, you know what, as far as we're concerned, Bitcoin's money, uh, it's just like if you receive silver, you're supposed to pay tax on the, the fair market value of the day of receipt. Uh, do that with Bitcoin, and otherwise we don't give a shit. Yeah, that'd be nice. A, a lot of people would circumvent the system, but a lot of people would just say, here's your money, go away. Mm-hmm. And that would actually be a big stabilizer and that might be why a lot of the money's coming in because if they did that let's face it the day that headline runs bitcoin prices would go through the roof oh yeah yeah it's already trending towards going through the roof and that would just help it immensely uh there's a wonderful example i like to share about how bitcoin it's just it's to overcome states control altogether and again i remain so optimistic because of examples like this but there's this whole uh, application for bitcoin called a dac a distributed autonomous company or a dao distributed autonomous organization and there's actually businesses that are being created on the the actual business exists on the bitcoin blockchain it's not a corporation there's no legal status in the eyes of the state there aren't corporate shareholders there's not CEOs, there's organizers, of course, and people that take charge, but essentially the business exists within the blockchain and, or the service. And one example of this I like to point out, I was at the Texas Bitcoin Conference, it was on March 5th and 6th, awesome event, wonderful organizers, great networking opportunity, cool speeches. They had a hackathon where they invited a bunch of techno geeks and they had all their suites and, and they just stayed up all night and they formed these groups uh, that they, a lot of people they didn't even know. They just organized themselves and formed groups, and there was mentors there. And I went and interviewed them. There's a great podcast I did. You could check it out at the website uh, and listen to it. I interviewed probably about 10 people that were participating. And one of the groups, it was a team from Israel, actually. They won a hackathon in Israel. They came down to the States. That was the prize to participate in this hackathon. They got like fourth or fifth place overall here at the Texas Bitcoin Conference. Their project was to create a decentralized peer-to-peer rideshare program that utilizes the Bitcoin blockchain and GPS technology. And as soon as I heard him say that, it just felt really good because about a year ago in Austin, there was a centralized company, a corporation, that was a startup, and they were building an, a phone app that allowed you to do pretty much the same thing. It was a a rideshare program, you say, I want to go from A, a to B, they go check out the GPS, here's someone else that wants to go from A to somewhere that's close to B, you guys link up. Well, the city shut it down. They wouldn't let it move forward. It's because the city's controlled by the taxi cartel. We've seen it happen. There's cartels for every industry, the taxi the cartel. They uh, previously threw a lot of uh, wrenches in the gears of a friend's company that was starting this uh, solar-powered uh, uh, golf cart thing where they drove people around downtown. The taxi cartel went so far as to contribute like $30,000 to the establishment candidates. And then on one day, they drove all their taxis circling around City Hall honking their horns to send a message not to let this project go forward. 
So they have a lot of control. They shut down that decentralized, uh, that centralized rideshare program. And as soon as I heard about this Bitcoin application to do the same thing, but there's no way you can possibly shut it down. You can't shut it down. Once you put it out there, it's out there. There's no head to cut off. There's no one to tax. There's no one to fine or coerce. There's no one to put in jail or take away their business, their property, their license if they don't comply with your edicts. And there's just going to be a whole slew of applications that come out like this. They're called distributed autonomous companies, and you could start one for just about any service. So we're going to start seeing in parallel to the, the status quo of a corporation with the CEO and a board of directors, there's going to be distributed autonomous companies come up, and the government's not going to be able to do a damn thing if they don't like what they're doing. And for me, that's really exciting. Isn't that what you think they're really scared of? The, the two things is the, the you just take them out of the equation in so many ways, where they're like, well, you can't do that, but we don't know how to stop that. We can't do that, but we don't know how to stop. We're going to say that's illegal, but we don't know how to figure out who's doing it. Uh, and they're just like deer in the headlights with that. And then the other thing is, we talked about this last time you were on, if I set up a paper wallet, memorize my mnemonic key, get on a flight in New York City, land in Tokyo, I have my money in my head, no amount of anything in the world will ever take that away from me. Mm -hmm. And I can move that money anywhere I want to, whenever I want to, and you don't need to worry about it. That those two things have got to be, and then I guess the third big one would be the multi-billion dollar market in merchant fees that's under direct assault. Those mm. three things have to have the establishment just going, holy shit, what do we do? Yeah, yeah, and money transmission as well. Uh, yeah, you, you made a good point. Uh, there's a service. You don't have to memorize your private key. You can memorize the 12-word mnemonic seed, or there's even a service that allows you to put in a phrase. And all you got to do is remember that phrase. Just make it original, like, I was talking to Jack Spierko today, and I had a really good time on his show. I memorized that phrase. I don't tell anyone. You put it in this, this program, and it, as you said, you could travel to Japan anywhere. All you got to do is pop in that phrase. It'll be a lot easier to memorize. But, yeah, there's the, the problem is there's these money transmitters like Western Union, and there's all sorts of them all across the world. And there's these people that come into another you know, a developed country to work, whether they're here legally or not. I don't care. But they come to work, they send their money back home, and the problem is the fee is exponentially higher for third world countries. The poorer the country, the higher the fee. That's exploitative in my opinion. Bitcoin Extremely. has the opportunity to completely circumvent that, and you could send money anywhere in the world back to your family at home, and it doesn't cost a damn thing. This is something that happened in but a... But John, that means terrorists can send money to other <laughs> terrorists. Yeah. Yeah, like HSBC is uh, m laundering money for the Mexican drug cartels and the U.S. government's helping to finance the Syrian opposition army, yeah, for sure. You can do that with the U.S. dollar, too. That's the biggest hogwash. All their critiques have so many holes in them if you just talk about it. But like you said at the beginning of our conversation, the media has came out, and they have had a field day just trying to tarnish Bitcoin's reputation to the point where people – I talk to Bitcoin – I talk to people about Bitcoin and say, well, didn't Bitcoin go bankrupt? You know, like Bitcoin can't go bankrupt. There is no yeah. institution to go bankrupt. Yeah. That shows like technological ignorance. Like back when the Internet was kind of coming up and, you know, my dad looked at AOL and thought AOL was the Internet. He was pretty, pretty smart guy with stocks, right, and reading the future with stocks because he spent his whole life in stocks and options as far as his investment side of things went. And he kept saying, the Internet's going to go broke. The Internet's going to go broke. The Internet's going to go broke. <laughs> but what he meant is this, this train ride that AOL's on is going to end in a train wreck, and there'll be an obscure little piece of junk down the road. 
But to him, that meant, well, the Internet was going to go broke. Mm-hmm. The Internet can't go broke. It's a network. Mm-hmm. And that, because Mt. Gox is gone and was stupid with their clients' money, and uh, you correct me if I'm wrong, but as I understand it, for like a year, the whole Bitcoin community was telling anybody holding money at Mt. Gox, get out. These people are on the way to bankruptcy, and people just stayed there. Yeah. Um, but when they when you see that, you think, well, that means Bitcoin's gone. And I had one of my YouTube videos about Bitcoin. A guy said, well, game over now. Bitcoin's now something like 38 bucks or something like that. And I'm like, where do you get your information from? <laughs> Fox News. Yeah, exactly, right? It's Fox News. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the Mt. Gox debacle this time around demonstrated that Bitcoin was able to persevere more than the first Mt. Gox debacle. Last year, Mt. Gox had another big crash and, and some technical problems. And Bitcoin crashed about 50%. It was, a, it was a significant drop. This time, Mt. Gox had even bigger of a problem. They declared bankruptcy, and they, they complete, the, the price of Bitcoin on Mt. Gox went all the way down to like 200 bucks or less. But on the other exchanges and the global average, it stayed around 600 bucks, 500. I think it dipped down below 500 once. But nonetheless, the difference in price because of some Mt. Gox problems uh, was much smaller this time around. Last year, Mt. Gox was the largest Bitcoin exchange, and at the time of their problems, uh, they were like the third or fourth largest, somewhere around there. there. The point is that the Bitcoin ecosystem is growing exponentially to the point where a Mt. Gox problem happens and it doesn't uh, hinder Bitcoin's value or it doesn't hinder anything. You know, like, yeah, all this stuff was going on with Mt. Gox. The business down the road still accepting Bitcoin just the same. I'm still paying people that I work with for the Liberty beat, just the same with Bitcoin. All that stuff is irrelevant. And then again, the price is going to fluctuate, especially now in its infancy. But that is still irrelevant. If you exchange Bitcoin, uh, you send it uh, for, for a value transfer and somebody cashes it out on their end. I will caution people, if, if you have a lot of overhead, it's not the best idea to hold all of your Bitcoin. I tried to be a true evangelizer, and I have people that I pay. There's four people that I work with. We do a daily news service. It's called The Liberty Beat. You could check it out at thelibertybeat.com, and it's uh, radio news like Fox News or NPR, except it's got a little bit of a liberty bent to it, liberty propaganda. And I said, you know, I'm going to hold the Bitcoin. I want to be a true Bitcoin believer. And, of course, Bitcoin, even when Bitcoin's value fluctuates 10 to 20%, ideally it fluctuates upward, but sometimes it fluctuates downward – it really put a, a, a hurt on my business. So I would recommend people, if you don't have a lot of overhead, if it's just a, a, a solo operation, hold on to it because I think it's going to go to the moon. But if you do have overhead, one thing you could do through programs like BitPay or Coinbase allows you to do this as well. You can set it. Actually, I'm not sure Coinbase does. BitPay definitely does. You can set it to have 90% of the Bitcoin you receive transfer over to FRNs and deposit in your bank account so you can hold that as overhead uh, FRNs right now are more stable than Bitcoin, but that, that probably won't be the case in the coming years. And then you could have 10% or whatever amount is best for you. Set that a, as a savings account, essentially, in your wallet. You can even do a deep cold storage, take it offline, put it in a paper wallet, throw it in your safe or a physical uh, armory wallet, for example. And uh, that's something that I recommend. People should be aware. If you have overhead, it may not be the best idea to hold a lot of your Bitcoin in Bitcoin because the price fluctuates. If it goes down 25%, that could really put a hurt on your business. But Applications like BitPay allow you to have a percentage what you're comfortable with. Yeah, and I mean with with, uh, with Coinbase, for instance, I'm not sure if it has the because I didn't want to do it, so I didn't even look into it. But I can sell Bitcoin at any time and have it deposited in my account. Yep, to my bank account. So 
if I wanted to do that, even if I wanted to do it manually on a weekly basis, I could transfer money over for stability purposes yes. or for cash flow av- availability. And it all depends on what percentage of your business you're taking in as Bitcoin. If you're taking in 10% of your business as Bitcoin and you have lower or little physical product overhead, it's easy to leave it there. Um, I sell an intangible product with Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. So it's real easy for me to just go, I'm going to leave it there and it, it might go up, it might go down, I don't care. Mm-hmm. I believe in the long-term thing. But if I was selling you uh, raspberry and blackberry cuttings and I have a physical cost with shipping and, and I need to pay my bills and all – well, I might need some of that to come out. So the fact that I can do that um, is awesome. Or if, let's say I wanted to do this. I wanted to take 50% of my sale price and have cash. And I wanted to have 50% of my – or 25% stay in Bitcoin and 25% uh, in silver for diversification of holdings. Yeah. Well, I could go Agamai Metals and I could buy once a month 25% of whatever came in in silver and they'll ship me silver. I mean, the flexibility that's there mm-hmm. should take away a lot of apprehension because I will not tell a person, go buy Bitcoin so you can become a millionaire. My answer is you, it could happen. It could not. I don't know. Who knows what's going to happen? But I see it as no riskier than just about any other investment you would make. And if you're selling anything and you're not taking Bitcoin, I just think you're cutting your nose off to spite your face at this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think it's a... Uh yeah, it's a no-brainer. If if you have the ability, especially if you have online sales, you got to hook up with Bitcoin. It's super easy. Go to bitpay.com, hit me up at sovereignbtc.com and I'll help step you through it. But I do uh, believe one important thing for people that are holding Bitcoin as an investment strategy is to hold it as much as you can. Just get it, hold it for the long term. If this year is anything like last year, Bitcoin went up 56 times last year. It started at like 19 bucks or something and ended up at like $1200. If it does anything like that this year, even if it goes up 10 times, you know, we're looking at $10,000 of Bitcoin or $7,000 of Bitcoin. So there's a good balance, though, because with this new technology, it actually increases the value for you to use the Bitcoin. So I encourage people to hold as much as they can, but also to use it as a medium of exchange to shop on gift.com. Go frequent the guys that are out there taking that first leap of faith and accepting Bitcoin before everyone else does. You know, chances are, if you're listening in a major city, there's over a dozen or two dozen businesses that'll accept it. In Austin, there's restaurants, there's food carts. Uh, you can go to Brave New Books, of course, which is a Liberty uh, bookstore in operation since 2006. They were the first brick and mortar in the entire state of Texas to accept Bitcoin. So uh, there's a balance, and of course, that's all up to the individual, what their goals are, what their preferences are. But I do believe. And again, it could go down to zero, so they always say don't put more into Bitcoin than you're willing to uh, lose entirely. But I genuinely believe that you hold Bitcoin, this stuff's going to be worth tons and tons. As soon as the general public really catches on, as soon as Target hops on board or Amazon hops on board, it has the – I mean even if mutual funds and IRAs start utilizing Bitcoin to hedge some of their other investments or if they just throw 1% – of their their big investment pool into Bitcoin. That's huge for the price. Oh, of it's massive. And boy, it would have worked out recently, wouldn't it? Yeah, for sure. Big time. Yeah. I, I think that that's the first kind of thing they'll regulate out. Mm. Right? That's something they can regulate out. They can say that you you can't use investor money inside Bitcoin through any of their little apparatus they've created. Uh, I, maybe you should have said that. There's somebody right now at the SEC. Going, <laughs> ah, we need to do that. Because uh, that, boy, that would... And if they did it, you know what? If they did it before it was regulated out, it's too late. Like as soon as it happens, it's like 
all, anybody that benefits from this will be like, I don't want you to take that away. Yeah, yeah, they'll and, be and a Bitcoin lobby. I think that's lobby. the big reason we need to get people using Bitcoin. Like I've always said, if you want to defend your right to keep and bear arms, keep and bear arms. Yeah. And take a non-gun person to the range and teach them to shoot and help them buy their first gun. Because then the second – and buy them the, the, the edge of what – you know, get them to buy the edge of what the law says they can have wherever they are. Right? So if, if the best you can do where you are is an AR with 30-round magazines, get that guy into an AR with 30-round magazines. So the first time any restriction impinges in his area, he feels it. Because the second a person actually has something that the government wants to take, it's personal. If, it's sad – but most people don't care if they take away something from somebody else. Yeah. People that are awake do, but why do you think they can take a cigarette tax and increase it by 400% in one year and nobody bitches except the smokers? Mm-hmm. Because I don't really want to smell your stinky cigarettes, right? So with that alone, I'm like, I don't care if you pay more. But the, 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 the human being in me says, why is it okay to, to do that? Mm-hmm. But... If you put a person in the possession of something that they want to take, also that person goes, wait, I was, I was like Connecticut right now. You're, these guys are feeling this. Yesterday I was legal. Today, unless I give away what I owned yesterday, I am a criminal. Yeah. That is cool. how you create a popular rebellion is you make people have a stake mm-hmm. in what they're attacking. Yeah. So with Bitcoin, the more people we get using it, the greater the resistance to any attempt to control, regulate, or get rid of it. For sure. Yeah, that's a great point. And uh, if you go to centraltexasgunworks.com, you can actually buy firearms with Bitcoin. It's the, uh, it's the first. We call uh, it function stacking in permacol. There you go. Yeah, there you go. Two birds, one stone. It's actually the first uh, gun store in the entire country right here in Austin, Texas. My good friend Michael Cargill operates it. And this guy, Michael Cargill, is one heck of a freedom advocate. And you get him in front of a camera with local media, he has a way with words. I remember in the first interview they did with him on the him accepting Bitcoin, he said, uh, you know, Bitcoin is a technology, and government is behind right now. But we don't have time to, to sit around and wait for them to learn what it's all about. We're moving forward, and we're accepting Bitcoin. I, that was pretty cool. So, yeah, people can buy guns online. He started accepting Bitcoin online, centraltexasgunworks.com. Get yourself a... AR-15 or a Glock 19 and take it to the gun range. Buy your ammo with, with Bitcoin, too. Yeah. And that's yeah. a good store of value as well, uh, ammo is. For sure. Absolutely. Yeah, I always wondered why there was a Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms because they didn't seem to go together. And then when I got into you know modern survivalism and started looking at the things most often used in, as currency mm. uh, in a in a either a black market or a, a governmental breakdown, it was alcohol, tobacco, and firearms. <laughs> that's and I went, a good ah, point. <laughs> that's why they've done this. Actually, I think I might have made them change a line on their website. I'm very proud of this. Um, they had a claim on their website. Uh, that they were quite proud of that said they got a 35 to 1 return on taxpayer money, which means for every dollar you give them, they're able to take $35 away from somebody else. And I put that in my spoof video about gun control and stairs. And I actually have a screenshot with it highlighted on their website. And Joe ran it on Brink of Freedom. And then he was going through the article one day, and he clicked on the link that we had over to the proof point, and it was gone. (laughs) And it just seemed like it happened way too, like, uh, probably not. But in my head, they changed their website because of me, and I like that. But, you know, that's, that is the, the type of thing that I think we can make happen is we inform more people as to what's going on and give them a stake in things. And so how can people work with you? You've said it a couple of times, but here at the end, say it again, and learn more about Bitcoin and figure out, like, 
I think the biggest people you can help right now, and correct me if I'm wrong, are business owners that say, I want to do this, but I don't know how. I'm scared. I'm nervous. I don't know what to do. Yeah, business owners for sure can can benefit, but also anyone that wants to get the government's prying eyes and hands off of their wealth. It's a wonderful way to transfer wealth from the traditional mediums that the government sees. Every single thing that goes in and out of your bank account, the government can take a tab on that. And in fact, everything that gets deposited into your bank account, this is per Joe Bannister, the Freedom uh, ex-tax attorney, that could be considered as income. So you got to watch out for that. If you get audited, you could be in some trouble. Uh, there's a wonderful way to purchase bitcoins that can keep it completely off of government ire altogether. With applications like Coinbase and some of the other exchanges like Bitstamp, you have to attach it to your bank account. But you can use a service called localbitcoins.com, and you can actually go deposit money in someone's bank account. It goes into escrow, and someone will send you the bitcoin once they receive the money. Or better yet, you meet them at a Starbucks, and you physically hand them the cash and they'll send the Bitcoin over. Meet them in a public place, of course, because there are bad actors out there. But if you go to SovereignBTC.com, I actually have a link there on the right where you can go and sign up for your account through LocalBitcoins.com, and I'll get a little bit of credit there. I also have a link where you could sign up through Coinbase, and uh, this is an affiliate referral thing. Sign up through Coinbase, uh, which is what you use, Jack, which I also have a Coinbase account. It's really easy to use. They're very reputable, and you'll be able to uh, help us out at SovereignBTC as well. But I would recommend checking out my website, SovereignBTC.com. We offer media marketing and general consulting. So if someone uh, wants to market the fact that they accept Bitcoin, we can help them out with that. If someone wants to do some videos or some audio commercials about the fact that they accept Bitcoin, or just in general, I'll accept Bitcoin for helping anyone out on those fronts. And then I can do some consulting as well. Uh, I'd love to have a chat with you just in brief to, to get you, uh, you know, well-versed in Bitcoin and give you the first steps. I have very reasonable rates on top of that to help people take it to the next level if it's more of a difficult application. Sometimes the Bitcoin doesn't mesh very well with applications and programs that people already have, point of sale. There's ways to kind of rig it to where it works, or you can hop on something like Shopify, for example, that accepts Bitcoin really easily. And then I've compiled on the bottom right of my website, on the sidebar, if you scroll down, I've compiled what I believe to be the best YouTube videos to give you a general understanding of what Bitcoin's all about. There's just about eight of them. Most of them are pretty short. You can check those out, and those will help you get a better understanding. And then a great website that I share with everyone is WeUseCoins.com. WeUseCoins.com has this awesome two-minute YouTube video that gives you a great explanation, and it has a whole lot of different resources on there as well. But the first thing I would recommend someone do if they want to get involved is just set up a wallet. You could literally sit down after you're finished listening to this podcast, go to blockchain.info, and you'll be able to set up an online wallet. Now, blockchain.info is special among other online wallets in that they never have access to your private keys, and in fact, they encrypt the account from themselves. It's encrypted from blockchain uh, headquarters. The corporate CEOs of blockchain can't even get access. And I interviewed uh, Nicholas Carey. He's the CEO once on my podcast, and he said, the cool thing about blockchain is even if the government came to us and said, we want their money, give us access to their money to shut their account down, there's nothing that they could do. So you could literally set up your blockchain wallet in five minutes after you listen to this interview. The only thing I would recommend is make sure you have a paper and pen next to you and write down that mnemonic 12-word seed. In case you lose your password or your public identifier, you'll be able to access your bitcoins through blockchain or through another type of wallet. If you want one layer of security on top of that, I would recommend downloading an Electrum wallet, which is stored on your hard drive, and you can encrypt that. It's a little bit safer than the online uh, service. So that's blockchain.info. 
And then you could just Google Electrum and get a wallet there. But again, my website Sovereign BTC. I have a podcast. It's published every Sunday on Let's Talk Bitcoin. You could check that out at letstalkbitcoin.com or you could find it linked on my website under the podcast feed right there. And again, that's sovereignbtc.com. It's the website. Well, cool, man. I appreciate you being here, and I'll try to make sure I include as many of those links as possible in the show notes. But uh, I think if you get over to John's website, uh, sovereignbtc.com, that that alone is going to lead you down all the other things. And, uh, man, I appreciate the work you do for Liberty, John, uh, the way that you live your life and share what you're doing and the work you're doing to spread the message of uh, Bitcoin. Thanks, Jack. The feeling's definitely mutual. Keep on keeping on and love what you're doing, too. And keep it up. Peace and freedom. Yep. And folks, with that, this has been Jack Spierko today along with John Bush, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Revolution is you.